Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson here on a Wednesday morning. We've got a big old bag of mail. We are going to be getting into some of those coaching carousel type angles, talking the college football playoff sort of from the macro and uh, getting into some of the questions that you have submitted. Reminder, if you want to get in a question for a future mailbag episode, one way to do it is by going and leaving a five-star review. And then in that review, put your question for the mailbag. We'll, we'll throw it in the big old bag of mail. Also, follow us on Twitter at Covered 3 podcast We will solicit for mailbag questions, especially when we've got one coming up here in this Wednesday. Uh, gentlemen, The we, we just checked in with our listeners. Be sure to listen to the college football playoff uh, rankings instant reaction. So it's good to be back with you now. Uh, let's, let's dive right into the bag of mail. This question comes from the five-star review. Here we go. Yeah, great stuff week after week, guys. Always fun to hear the great debate. And Danny has been a great add to the pod. Yeah. (laughs) Question. (laughs) With the coaching carousel about to begin, what job or jobs do you believe to be the most difficult in the country as far as expectations and what is actually realistic? These don't have to be jobs that are open now or jobs that might be open, but just in general, what are some of the toughest jobs in the country in terms of trying to meet those expectations? Hmm. Can can I just say every SEC job that is in Alabama, Florida, or Georgia or LSU? Wait, wait, wait. Why not all so, those too? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. And if anything... Like that, that's one of the, cause Vander, we've talked Vanderbilt a little bit and not to make this another Vanderbilt show, but I think Vanderbilt is hard of a job as Vanderbilt is from a just achieving standpoint. When you factor in expectations, it's not that bad. It's actually kind of nice. And, and there's been an, there's been an argument made that Kentucky is a really good job because you do have resources. You do have fan base. You are, it's, it is a place where you can win and where the expectations are not to go 10 wins every season. So I think when you, I think the interesting element of this is to factor in expectations because obviously there's a lot of situations that vary in terms of the resources and ability to win recruiting backgrounds, tradition, all that stuff. But I think the expectation and how that affects your job security is, is a big variable and X factor in sort of answering this question. So what are some of those jobs? Because I, I kind of think a lot of those sec jobs are nice, but I think they're nice in that you're going to make a whole lot of money and I don't know if at, I don't know if in Oxford, anyone expects Lane Kiffin to win the West, right? 
No, they just expect them to have fun. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, like well, I, in the ACC, um, I, I think that Virginia is probably a pretty good job. Was the question toughest jobs or best jobs? What was the question? It is. Let's see. It is the, what do you believe to be the most difficult in the country as far as expectations and what is actually realistic? I think two are ones that we've talked a lot about. It's Michigan and Texas because the expectation is you should be Ohio State at Michigan and they're clearly not. Um, at Texas, it's you should be Oklahoma and they're clearly not. And the expectation is you should beat those teams routinely. Like, oh yeah, of course we should contend for Big 12 and Big 10 championships. And yet neither one has really done that with any consistency in the last 20, 30 years. I, I saw a remarkable stat the other day that Texas, they only have two Big 12 championships mm-hmm. in the last you know 20 years, I think it is. Like, mm-hmm. But yet, if you talk to a Texas fan, it's, oh, Tom Herman's not even, we're not even, we're not even competing for Big 12 championships. Well, guess what? You really haven't that much anyway. You know, and I think it's the same at Michigan. I think those are two of the toughest. I would throw Florida State in there too recently. Now, they haven't even been close. Like it's been pretty, all the criticism that was against Willie Taggart and even some against Mike Norvell. Mike Norvell deserves and will get a pass. But I think the Florida State fan base and even Miami somewhat, any program that's had success in the last 30 years, like people remember that success. And yet it was a completely different era when Florida State was rolling for 14 straight years in the top five. But that's the expectation. And Jimbo set the bar pretty high as well. So maybe it is a little bit closer to reality, but I think this is a big turnaround job. And I think if if Mike Norvell would have, let's say next year he gets eight wins, I think that's a massive success story. And I think a lot of Florida State fans would be, uh, oh, well, why aren't we at 10? Could you, could you make an argument that one simple formula that you could take for trying to figure out the most difficult jobs in terms of meeting expectations is you go down the list of like former national championship winners? Like, you, would you add Nebraska to that? Would you add Tennessee to that? Like, you just start to find these programs. Like, it doesn't happen at Minnesota because Minnesota won its national championships in the 30s. So no one is still like alive and around trying to like bring back those pre-World War II Minnesota National Championship vibes. But if you've been since the since 1987, 1988, something like that, if you have had top-level national championship contention and have not and are nowhere close to that, that feels like a, a good like cookie-cutter way to f- go across the country and start to find what some of the toughest jobs are in terms of meeting expectations because you have cycled down. Like Other programs have cycled up and are now the national championship contenders, and you trying to get back there, that's one of the most difficult things you can do in college football. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna use Nebraska as my what I think is probably the toughest because, I mean, I, I look at the program now and I think that Nebraska fans, like you said, kind of still want it to be that team that it was under Tom Osborne in the glory days when it was just an absolute machine winning national titles, and I just don't know if that's a realistic expectation for Nebraska anymore. I still think it could be a good top 25 kind of annually program because I think they still recruit well enough. And I think that they're in a position in the Big Ten West where they should still be able to win games. 
it's just, I think that the expectations are what the fans want for the program is still a little high because I mean, just look at what happened to Bo Pelini. This was a team that under Bo Pelini was winning nine games a year and no, he didn't win 10 and they kind of wanted to get to that and they think that they should. And I respect that. But I also feel like a Nebraska program winning nine games a year, getting into the double digits once in a while, and maybe, you know, playing for a Big Ten title every few years, maybe even winning one, is probably your best case scenario for Nebraska at this point. Because I just don't think that Nebraska is a program that can recruit at that national championship level just because it doesn't have that natural advantage of being located in a talent-rich area and being able to take advantage of that. It has to leave, which makes it more difficult to convince a bunch of kids to come to Lincoln. So I, I think that that is somewhere where it's going to be very tough to meet expectations. And it's going to be even tougher now because after getting rid of Polini and the you know bringing in Mike Riley and then Scott Frost, who is not living up to it, it's like the fan base is growing even more and more impatient with it. So I feel like the guy, like Scott Frost, if if it doesn't work and Scott Frost is replaced in the next couple of years here, the person who takes over better win quick. Yeah, Nebraska, because when Nebraska was winning national championships, it was a totally different climate in college football. Nebraska was one of the those rare programs that had a lot of national exposure and was playing on national television. You didn't really have to recruit as much skill to be successful as you do now. You know, back then, Nebraska had a couple of really good running backs and a good option quarterback. They could maul people up front and they were good. We've got 25 corn-fed linemen yeah. that we're ready yeah. to throw at you and let these running backs go. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's let's fill in fill in the blanks with our 75-man walk-on program and we're good. Right. You know, it's like... So I think that's the, the, the way the environment has changed has hurt Nebraska and the, the expectations don't seem to be that much different. I also think, like, because I think Danny said Michigan um, and Texas. Michigan, to me, would, would be a great job. And we're sitting here looking at it like there's, there seems to be no urgency from the administration to fire Jim Harbaugh. I mean, Jim Harbaugh is a unique situation because he's an alumni and he's done a good job to, other than Ohio State. So I think Michigan would be a fantastic job if Ohio State was just a little bit more mortal. Like the fact that Ohio State is what Ohio State is is what makes Michigan a tough job because you're compared against Ohio State. It's the same thing as Auburn. Auburn would be a fantastic job, but Auburn's expectations are compared to Alabama's and basically not even Alabama, but Nick Saban's. Like that's an impossible task with that. I'm not sure. I can't figure out Texas. Like – I. I'm, I'm pretty reluctant to say that's a tough job. I just am. And I, I understand what, what you're getting at and that sort of like, why should we think it's not, why, why should we think it's a good job when no one's really won there to the level that, that you're expected to? I just got to believe that, that they just hadn't been the right hires. I, it's just too many resources. It's just too good of an opportunity. It's too good of a situation. Maybe I'm not – well-versed enough in the inner workings of that program and all the boosters that are meddling and well, whatever. Well, isn't it too many cooks? Yeah, it's too right. many resources. It's too many um, opportunities, but it's also too many cooks in the kitchen. That's always what I've understood. But that's a good, isn't that a, isn't that a good problem to have? It's like saying we got too many five-star quarterbacks. I'm 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 not on a speaking tour to talk about businesses and org charts, but I do think that there is a line of thinking that would think that being able to streamline and allow. I bet Dabo Sweeney would tell you the like the value of being able to get administration boosters and head coach all on the same line. I bet Jimbo Fisher would tell you from the other side the how much he wishes administration and boosters and head coach could have all been aligned and lockstep. And I think if you've got more 
power brokers in the equation, it just makes it tough to get everybody on the same page. I think that like, I, I think it takes a special person to win at Texas, not a special person, but a specific type, kind of like the CEO role, the person that has it, it kind of like a politician role. That's why I think Mac Brown was so good at Texas. He was a good football coach, but he was also good at being in charge. You know what I mean? Like you can't just have like, the football guy coach come in who's just a ball about X's and O's and all that kind of stuff. Cause I think that then there's too many people who are trying to tell you what to do and you're getting pulled in too many directions. I feel like for governments, checks and balances are good for college football programs. <laughs> maybe I'm more of a fascist, I guess in that way, you know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think you hit on something outstanding with Mac Brown. I mean, Mac Brown was Perfect. I mean, he really, he could probably run for governor of Texas and win in a landslide. Um, I spent a lot of time with him when I was ESPN. We were in studio together every Saturday. He recruited me at North Carolina. I've seen firsthand the way he interacts with people and he is a politician. It's everybody. He's great with names, you know, like a politician is like on veep when they're whispering in our ears, like Gary's there. He's with, like he doesn't need the person in his ear. He's just really good with names. And if not, he'll find out before he meets the person. So you make him feel special. That's what Texas boosters want to make. Them. <laughs> they want to feel special. I mean, Mac Brown was still like Joe Jamel, who is the one of the biggest boosters. Mac had a great relationship. He would still talk to him and like kind of still interacted with him when he was long gone from Texas. And he still had a relationship there with the university. But that is kind of what you do have to be there. Getting back to the question, though, like I still think Texas is a great job because you're going to get paid a lot of money and you're going to have an infinite amount of resources. Those boosters, when you get hired, whatever it takes, whatever you need, we'll give it to you. Now you got to deliver. And that's where the expectations come in where, and I think this is at Michigan too, that they'll give you all the resources, but the expectation is 10 wins a season consistently. And I don't know how realistic that is anywhere. Mm. You know, like, so I think it's like, I think that's where the conversation, I think Michigan's a great job. But I think it's a tough job. And I think every coach that takes any of these jobs we're discussing about knows the territory that comes with it. But they're all some of the toughest jobs compared to the expectations. I think USC is a job we haven't talked about on here. The Pac-12 has been kind of forgotten about. USC has been down. Look at Clay Helton. Like, he's been a pretty good coach. But you just don't get the luxury of a down year or, God forbid, two years. Like, you're toast. You're done. And then you got Keyshawn Johnson out there and every other former USC player. And same thing at every school. You know, Miami's a great example. Look at all the ex-Miami players who at every coach who's been there. Well, this is oh, this is unacceptable. This isn't our standard. Well, standards change and expectations change, and they should. But it's just that's what makes those jobs tough as it pertains to the expectations. Let's uh, – oh, you got – Well, just real quickly, uh, uh, I agree with that, and I think that – which is why, since those are the best jobs in the country, whatever, the USC's, the Texas's, et cetera, I am, I am fine with them continuing to like uh, hire and fire, hire and fire as many times as you got to do it, hire and fire, because you should have one of the best five coaches in college football. Keep hiring until you get that guy. And then when you get that guy, He's not going to leave you for another job because you have it all. And, and, and wow. you should be playing for national championships. And you got one of the best five coaches in the country. Like the idea that just an average coach should just middle along 
at one of these elite, elite programs, like he doesn't deserve that. You know, he can have his paycheck, he can have his little run and that's fine. But like those jobs should be continuing to search for the elite, the top five coaches in all of football below the NFL, like all of college athletics. Unless you're Florida State and you feel like your job is the destination job, and then the coach right. that brings you a national championship feels like maybe there is a better job out there. I'm just saying. Sure. And by the okay. way, we sure. didn't mention Texas A&M once. No. I, I, you want to talk about like long, like long streak without a whole lot of success? Texas A&M. We've we've thought about that before because Barton's a Texas A&M believer. <laughs> I'm going to change my answer though. I think I think the. The toughest job with the most unrealistic expectations will be whoever the hell has to replace Nick Saban at Alabama. <laughs> yes. Fair. That's a great answer. All right, Hands let's down. let's let's dial in on Texas because this does uh, this gets into the recruiting portion of things. And not only is this getting into the recruiting portion of things, but I mean this might be Bart. This question comes from Over Army Staff Sergeant Gerald. So uh, Gerald, the Staff Sergeant in the Omer, Over Army, asks if Herman is fired. And Texas can't get Urban Meyer, then who can they hire that can fix recruiting and stop Ohio State and Alabama from taking the best in state? And this is after Ohio State recently just landed. Uh, was that Quinn Ewers? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Top top Texas quarterback. So, uh, Barton, you want to take lead on this one? Okay. I come from this from a recruiting background, so. Recruiting matters. I absolutely believe that recruiting matters. And this, this might sound counterintuitive what I'm about to say, but I, I, I believe this to be true. Recruiting doesn't matter as much as player development. Like, it, I don't care. It doesn't really matter what your class rankings are. Because, look, Tom Herman has had Texas with top five recruiting classes. Like, like he is from a, from a rankings perspective, he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's getting the right guys, but he, but this, the state of Texas, if you are at the university of Texas, you are always, that, that's a huge state that you are the flagship program of. There will always be some guy that's a first round draft pick that someone else got. Right. And so whatever, it's going to look bad on you. You can't even worry about that. You can't worry about who's leaving the state. The, the way to get better at Texas is to develop the guys that are on campus. And that's true for any job. Like, forget the recruiting rankings until you're getting the most out of whatever guys are getting on campus. And, and if you're coaching those guys up, if you're developing them in the weight room, if those guys are getting better – then your program is going to maximize whatever that talent is. And as that, as that, as those players get better, then your, your ceiling for recruiting will also improve and you can continue to, to, so I I think it's important, like partially not to miss. It's important to have like to have a roster full of guys that are contributors in some way that are, that are, that are value adds to the locker room. Forget, like forget the idea of losing a guy a five-star to an out-of-state program. I think that that is very overblown because it's all about what you do with them once they're inside your building as a head coach. Like if we're talking about the, yeah, sure, like whatever, we're going to have our debates about recruiting rankings. And, and I'm certainly, that doesn't mean I'm not going to, you know, 
call out a coach that loses a big time prospect in state. I am. And, and th- they need to value those and that that's needs to be important, but it's not as important as, as the, as the things that are, that are le- that aren't as easy for us to sit here and like hot take about, which is what's going on on a daily basis from a process standpoint within that locker room and within that weight room. I think the position that matters the most out of all those is quarterback. I mean, look at how many jobs have been impacted where I think that is concerning. If you are losing quarterbacks that you could have, one of the top five classes in there, if you either don't have a quarterback in that class or you miss on a quarterback in that class, then that is a significant concern. And it's been proven over time. Like if you have a run, it takes a great example. At the end of Mac Brown's tenure, he had five stars that he missed on that probably led to his exit. And that's Florida State's a big reason why they're struggling right now. Michigan, like there is always a correlation. And I don't think it's necessarily between recruiting classes it's quarterbacks. And that goes into play. What Barton says is the lack of developing a quarterback, which has probably been the biggest, most perplexing thing for Michigan fans to look at. How can a former quarterback who played at Michigan and is supposed to be a quarterback guru, not have a quarterback who's been a difference maker. So I would just say like, that is the position that I think you should focus all your efforts on and developing that quarterback to make sure that he's a success and gives you a chance. Is two programs that come to mind that um, it feels like I'm always seeing some five-star, four-star player on national signing day, uh, you know, hold, pick, picking, holding up the hat, picking that team. But yet, you know, it'll, it'll end up being a transfer. It'll end up being like never working out. It feels like Miami and USC are there. So from that, and I don't always know, you know, whether that should come down to evaluation where, you know, the, the player or the coaching staff didn't identify the, you know, the potential of that player correctly or whether that should come down to development. Um, is Texas in that position too, where you feel like, you know, uh, was it, I guess, you know, Caden Stearns, um, was he a four-star, five-star guy, right? Yeah. Bijan Robinson, you know, we'll still find out about him. Colin Johnson. I'm trying to think like who, who are some of the players you think at Texas that maybe haven't shown development because if you were to make the argument, especially from like a way they perform all over the secondary, all over the secondary, all, they got all kinds of stuff, guys that were supposed to be studs in the secondary. That have and you're getting okay. beat on big plays they're, and you're doing making also penalties. All over the wide receiver group this year. Like there's a lot of these wide receivers that are, are not really showing up. The offensive line has been underachieving for a while. Um, it, it's everywhere. Um, so it sounds and, like you're saying and, Texas is recruiting good enough. That it's like it's not a problem oh, of sure. Alabama and Ohio State coming out and stealing prospects. It is about what's happening with the Longhorns that are in that room right now. Here, here's a question that can kind of prove the point. Texas, like you said, Barton, it is ranked highly every year in recruiting rankings. Who was the last Texas player to be drafted in the first round of the NFL draft? Anybody yeah, know? I mean, uh, no. It was Malcolm Brown in 2015 and he was the 32nd pick of the first round gum. Mm. interesting all right let's take this uh don't forget cbs sports college football pick them we've been reminding you about it and guess what since we're here on a wednesday it's open that means that you can as you're listening to this podcast 
pull up cbssports.com slash college. Again, cbssports.com slash college, and you can fill out your entry. Your entry is totally free, and it puts you in the mix for a $1,000 weekly cash prize. What's on there, you say? Is that Texas as a nine and a half point favorite in Manhattan? Mm. Now, Tom Fernelli has alleged that if he picks Kansas State, we have to hit him in the head with a frying pan. But if you want to jump on that tasty home dog on the other side of this uh, this underachieving Longhorns team, that is one of the options. Texas A&M at Auburn, Ohio State, Michigan State, Notre Dame, Syracuse, Florida, Tennessee, lots of great options for you. Clemson, Virginia Tech, and of course, Alabama at LSU, uh, the SEC on CBS game of the week, doubleheader. All these are games that you can pick against the spread for free, and you will be entered to win the $1,000 weekly cash prize. Go to cbssports.com slash college. Again, that is cbssports.com slash college. Coming up on the other side, who is the best team that's been left out of the college football playoff And will there be an even better team this year? We'll get into that and more next. All right. This question comes from Myron. Hey, boys. Love the pod. The 1123 episode was one of the best. Especially, especially the decisive BYU discussion. While Tom may be correct, I couldn't help but be inspired by Maverick and Iceman's passion for BYU to prove themselves on the national stage. Also think it is worth noting that it could boost Zach Wilson's Heisman campaign. With all the controversy surrounding the playoff selection this year, who is the best team to be left out of the playoff in years past? And will there be an even better team left out this year? I'm going to get my answer on the second part. No, whoever is left out in 2020, yeah. probably you, it, you might feel like you got slighted, but I, I would bet that the teams that we're about to mention uh, were a little bit better. And I think I would take them on a neutral field. Well, who, who's your, who's who, I don't even know where to start. Oh, 2016 few, Penn state. That's one of mine. Yeah. Um, what was that team? That was the Saquon championship team, big yep. 10 championship mm-hmm. team that, 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 that lost two games early in the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they got on the roll and they got yeah. boat raced by Michigan, which I understand the selection committee's decision-making that you don't want to put in a team. They lost like 49 to seven or something like that. And if you want to make that argument, which, you know, we were talking about that. I think that game was in Ann Arbor, which James Franklin winning in Ann Arbor, whatever it is, that was a, a big leap for him. So congrats to James Franklin for finally getting that one over. But I thought that team, especially the way that it was playing at the end of the season was dynamite. So my, my, the first one that came to mind for me was 2016 Penn state. Yeah. I also think 2014 Baylor was pretty good. <sighs> Baylor and TCU both being left out. That was the controversy that got Ohio state in. Yeah, and of course, Ohio State won it, so it's kind of hard to argue with them being there. But yeah, uh, this wasn't... Go ahead. I I thought last year's Oregon team, uh, and it was tough because no one was really making the case for them, but I thought they were the fourth best team in the country. Like, And it's not like they got hosed where they would have been champions, but that fourth spot, I think, has been misplayed. The, The Penn State team you guys are talking about, Totally agree. And I felt they should have been in over Ohio State based on the principle, which the committee all of a sudden is really valuing this year. Who have you beat head to head? And the fact that they beat Ohio State and won the Big Ten championship, 
I thought was an atrocity at the time and still do. thought last year's Oregon team was better than, say, Oklahoma. Ohio State. No, 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 no. Oh, 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 oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, I yeah. got you. So that, yeah, yeah. And that's like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I thought it was one of the ones where they got it wrong, and it wasn't necessarily the national championship winning team. It, and that's why kind of like, you know, people will say, well, you know, you don't need eight because, you know, the, the best team usually wins. But I think you would have gotten a better four if you would have gone to eight. Because I think or uh, Oklahoma last year would have gotten beaten in the first round and would have been eliminated, and then you had a better four. I still think LSU would have won the championship. No love for UCF. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on a second. I'm out. I'm Danny. out. UCF 2017 co-national champions by far the best team that was left out. No, uh, no question about it. Uh, 2017 also had a sick USC team. I don't think that that USC, that Sam Darnold USC team that I think went on to win the Rose Bowl. Uh, I don't think that they... Again, that's not a deserving, but if you're just asking like best teams to be left out, I think that that Trojans team was pretty awesome. Uh, as we saw the way they played in that game. What about the 2018 Ohio State team? Mm-hmm. Who was pretty dominant throughout the season, just had that one terrible night on the road against in Purdue, Iowa, Purdue, in which it lost 49 to 20. But that was a team that beat a top 15 TCU team at the time on a neutral site, 40 to 28. It beat a top 10 Penn State team on the road by a point. It beat a Michigan State team that was ranked at the time. Then it finished ranked, but beat them 26 to 6 on the road. It beat Michigan that year, who was ranked number four at the time of the game, 62 to 39. It then went on to beat a ranked Northwestern team in the Big Ten title game. And then it went to the Rose Bowl and beat a top 10 Washington team. So, like, they had six wins over ranked teams that year. It's just they had one really stupid, awful night. And they were like, nah, get the hell out of here. I feel like that Ohio State team had it made the playoff in 2018. Probably not, not would have definitely won a game, but I think they would have been capable of beating either Notre Dame or Oklahoma. So I, I picked Purdue to win that game against Ohio State that season. And I don't say that to, like, pat myself on the back, uh, but I do say that to say, like, that that was a team that had clear flaws. Like, it was, it was I agree it was really good, but it was also a team that it wasn't outlandish to think, like, this team's going to lose somewhere along the way. And because of that, I don't really care. They didn't make it in. You know what I mean? Like I think, yeah. I think for the, for the teams that the teams that deserve to, the teams that really get screwed are the teams where it's like no freaking doubt. Like what are we talking about? Why is this team not in? Also, this should not have any impact on the college football playoff rankings of the selection committee's decisions. But Ohio State, everything around that program because 2018 started with Zach Smith, and it starts with the three game suspension for Urban Meyer. Like the just the, there was a cloud over that Buckeyes program. And, and then he does the retirement announcement in early December uh, with the promotion of Ryan day. It was just a, a, a strange team. Very good. And again, that should all of the cloud. I just remember the conversations around Ohio state were not all about breaking down the team. It was a, a weird season for the Buckeyes. All right. Now this question comes from a new, uh, a new better. I'm a longtime listener and believe it is the best CFB show of any other radio slash podcast slash TV CFB show by far. And a reminder, you can see all of these episodes, youtube.com slash cover three, youtube.com slash cover three, or in the CBS 
Sports app on your mobile, on your OTT device. Uh, you just throw it up there on the big screen, scroll down a little bit. You'll see the Cover 3 podcast. You can watch these full episodes. The 2020 season is the first time I've decided to bet on games. What a year to start, right? My main issue, yeah. <laughs> my main issue when I lose is that I've been a fan for so long of CFB that I have obvious biases. The team I root for, I might overvalue their wins as well as teams in their conference. The teams I have grown to hate, I might undervalue their wins or undervalue their conferences. I know to be a successful better, I need to take away these biases, but I'm really afraid it will take the fun out of watching for me if I no longer have bitter hate for teams. My question is, how do each of you make sure biases don't come back to bite you? And is there a strategy slash process you have done over the years to start uh, to start taking the biases out of your betting game? What's the name of this uh, commenter? Uh Randall, uh, we'll say Randall. I don't want to, I mean, I just don't want to, he just said he started gambling. So I don't want to expose like his <laughs> full name, but let's just say Randall. So 15 year old. So it's, so it's not, a, it's a, it's a male, not a female. Correct. Cause this dude sounds, this dude sounds very emotional. Sounds very, like, <laughs> sounds very like up and down. Like it's very, like, it's very invested. Like, I, hey, hey, act like you haven't been emotional. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, no, I, 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 um, I don't know, Tom, you want to take this? You're the, you're the most pragmatic of all of us. Uh, I think you could, you could still not like teams, but that doesn't mean you can't be honest about them. Like, I don't, I love everybody in college football. So it's, but like, there are soccer teams that I don't like, but it doesn't mean I can't look at them and evaluate them for how good they are or for how bad they might be. It's just, I don't like them. I don't really want them to win, but I'm like, okay, they're probably going to win. And I think you just kind of have to find that balance and not let that dictate your choice. Your, your bet should always be based on the information that you have. And, you know, like your instincts, maybe you've just got a little gut feel about something. Don't be, don't be afraid to listen to your gut. If it's telling you something, it's just, don't let it be dictated by like if you're a if you're a Yankees fan and you hate the Red Sox, don't let your hatred of the Red Sox dictate that I'm just going to bet against the Red Sox every single week because they suck. You know, it's just I don't it's it's a difficult thing because I can't really relate to it, I guess, in a way that because I don't know. <laughs> you're so cold and calculating because I I think that those biases can help you especially when it comes to understanding like the trends and the rhythms and the ups and downs of a program. And I don't know if Randall has been introduced to the emotional hedge, but when you know that it's like, I don't think my team that I root for that I know very well, I I don't think they should be seven and a half point favorites going on the road to play this other team in this location where they have only won once out of the last five times or, you know, when you've got those very, very strong memories, I understand the overvaluing of wins is something that you've got to be on the lookout for, but it can cut the other way where your knowledge of your hatred or your love of teams opens you to a level of insight that can absolutely be profitable. But see that, that example you gave, I don't consider that bias. I consider that knowledge you know your team. So you're using that to make the bet. The way I was reading his question is how do I get my bias out? It's just how do I feel about certain teams and my emotions towards those teams? I think the emotional hedge you're talking about, like I don't I don't like rooting for Florida and Miami 
two teams that I hated when I played against them. But if they're gonna make me some money, <laughs> then I mean, hey, you gotta have a you gotta have some sort of mindset where you can separate yourselves from that. And but here's the worst. And then so you can say, all right, well, I'm gonna lay the points with the Gators this year, which I was doing earlier this season uh, and having some success with. The, the worst case scenario is if of course, the best case, they win the bet. You're like, yay, got my money. Who cares if they win? The worst is when they win and they win ugly and they don't cover if you laid the points. Then it can be doubly frustrating because the team that you don't like is still winning and yet they're not making you money. So I understand that. But I think that can also be an emotional hedge where you're like, hey, at least if they're going to be good, let me make some money off of that team that's going to be good. So you have to play that very carefully. I think my bias that I have to watch out for is going to the well too many times. And I think anybody who's listened to our locks pods on Thursday is I'll go back to a well. Hey, Vanderbilt's bad. Let me go back to them, back to them, back to them. Or Florida was good earlier this season. Went back to them one too many times. So you really have to be selective and kind of check yourself and say, all right, am I, am I just being lazy here because they've had some success? Because at some point, everybody – the public included is watching the success and the amount of times they've run the table like a Northwestern who had, what was it? Four or five straight wins against the spread. Mm -hmm. So you're like, Ooh, yeah, let's ride this hot train. Well, sure enough, what happens if you rode it one more time, it was time to get off. And that happens all the time. I will say to Randall or any other new better or any better, if you're just having fun, like you're just like gambling a little bit just to have fun to make the games more exciting and more enjoyable to watch. Don't worry about any of that crap, man. If, if you want to bet, if your, Ride biases, your biases, let's yeah, go. Yes. Take it. Like, yes. Cause I mean, the overwhelming majority of people who gamble are losing in the long run, no matter what they tell you, because that's the way the game is designed. So unless you're doing this professionally or you have a serious addiction to it and you're betting more than you should be in that case, maybe, you know, seek some help. But if you're just betting, you know, whatever you can afford enough to make it fun, but not enough that it's going to actually hurt you. Who cares, man? Just bet what you want to bet and enjoy yourself. Over the weekend, I bet, um, on Kent State plus seven and a half against my Buffalo Bulls. My Buffalo Bulls blew Kent State out, but I could go to bed feeling really good because I paid 50 bucks to make sure <laughs> that my Bulls covered. Yeah. <laughs> you're welcome, Lance Leipold. I did my part. That now you're a booster. <laughs> <laughs> now the, uh, the booster is always... Uh, when your team is an underdog and the big dog's in town, you just got to get it because that's the Will Muschamp Lane Kiffin, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When the when the bit when the best teams in the SEC come to town, we know we're not going to win. But if there's any way we can get inside that twenty one and a half, we're going to make sure that we do it, even if that includes running up tempo and taking shots at the end zone all the way down to the final uh, stretch. All right, here we go. Thank you, uh, Mike. Mike asks, as a, P as a Penn State fan hoping for an upgrade from Sean Clifford, any early thoughts on who we could see in the transfer portal this year? Big recruits stuck behind somebody? Grad transfers? Maybe group of five guys like McCall from Coastal Carolina or Willis from, Li from Liberty? Uh, with extra eligibility and a one-time transfer rule, I assume we will see a lot of names. We did mention on this podcast... Transfer portal, it's going to be hot this year. Epic year for the transfer portal. 
So uh, I think we we could spin this. I mean, we don't have to zero in on Penn State. I think it's better to just sort of take a, the temperature of the transfer portal in general. Who are some quarterbacks that we think might be in the transfer portal? Who are some teams that might be looking for quarterbacks? Uh, Quincy Patterson from Virginia Tech, who has done some work uh, whenever Hendon Hooker's been out. He's played all right. He's already in the transfer portal. Um, what, what are y'all's expectations for the portal this year? <laughs> have a joke answer <laughs> i mean sam ellinger had his senior day at texas but he never said he's going to the nfl he's just played his last home game at texas <laughs> <laughs> is he committed to the senior bowl somebody said that uh, a caller on our show said that i put I, and kind of jokingly i was saying hey if urban meyer deal is locked up and you know it maybe you do come back to sam ellinger <laughs> after taking that one i, I got james so, blackman anybody <laughs> <laughs> I, I ran down just um, a few like a few guys to sort of keep an eye on. So Ohio State, they're losing um, Justin Fields. So C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller are two true freshmen this year, and then they've got uh, Kyle McCord coming in that'll be a true freshman next year. I would imagine one of those Stroud or Miller wins the job. They're both talented players. Maybe the other guy is going to be a transfer option. Uh, Texas with Casey Thompson potentially being the starter there. You got Quinn and Jackson and Hudson card. Like that's someone's probably going to leave that room, whether it's the upperclassman or, or a young guy. Um, Arkansas, Felipe Franks is gone. They got Malik Hornsby and KJ Jefferson, two really talented young guys. I would say one of those guys, whoever doesn't win the job next year option. Um, Sam Howell's, going to be back again next year for one more season probably they got a true freshman drake may coming in they got another talented guy named jacoby criswell i would imagine there's someone there at north carolina um how good is tyler buckner true freshman at notre dame can he somehow win that job does that open it up for brennan clark maybe to bounce i assume mac jones I and mean, he's a first round pick I, I i assume he's gone this year but it's kind of crazy to think because he seems like such an old head but he's only a junior so i don't know i guess maybe he comes back bryce young um, Desmond Ritter, I assume he's coming back at Cincinnati. If he does, there's actually a really talented true freshman named Evan Prater there. I don't know how long he wants to wait. He needs some time. He was so, but, but I don't know how quickly he's advanced things. I would say he's a guy to watch. And then there's a couple, um, group of five guys that have kind of caught my attention. Cornelius Brown, the fourth at Georgia state quad Brown, I think is what they call him. Uh, he's a pretty talented guy that, that could maybe, especially for a dual threat sort of system. He could be a guy to keep an eye on. And then Grant Wells, the true freshman at Marshall and Grayson mm. McCall uh, at Coastal Carolina. Those are some guys that, you know, like if Jamie Chadwell say, well, I don't know. I was going to say if you got the Vandy job, but they got a good one in Ken Seals. Um, Michael Wright, actually another guy at Vanderbilt, maybe his transfer up portal option. So that, I don't know. That, that's, 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 a, that's sort of a laundry list of, of teams or guys to watch. Florida's another one. Hey, Emory Jones, does he win the job? If, if he does, is Anthony Richardson maybe a guy to keep an eye on? So any of these teams that have recruited well at quarterback, Washington's got a really deep quarterback room. Teams that have recruited well at quarterback, you can only play one, um, are, are spots to keep an eye on for, for some What about the flip side of it? What about the schools that you feel like are going to be out there Need one. Florida State, anybody? <laughs> I mean, 
They, I absolutely. They just need bodies, right? Right, exactly. I, I would try to accumulate as many as you can. If you, the best case scenario is if you're like Georgia, get two guys to come in there with Jamie Newman and JT Daniels going to Georgia. You know, one of them opts out, the other one eventually gets a chance. Um, I think they're absolutely, and they should be in play. You know, it's interesting too because some of these guys that I think that's the other thing we've seen in Georgia. The example I just gave was a pretty good example. Some of these guys, they do act like, hey, I don't care who's there. I'm going to go compete. So even if there is, and Barton gave a great list of young quarterbacks who look pretty stable and look like they're heir parents, they're still most likely going to have to compete with somebody. And maybe it is somebody who transfers in and they still have to do it. So even though some of those places that look locked up, they still could be attractive to some transfers coming in and say, hey, I, I, I think I'm better than that guy. Hmm. All right. Well, I'm trying to. I'm still just trying to think of schools that probably. I mean, well, what's Miami doing? Derek King's gone. Yeah, I'm thinking. What What does Texas do? They got guys. Do they? One of, the, okay. one of those guys is good enough at Texas. What about Texas A&M? Kellen Mond's gone. They got a guy named Haynes King, who's who's played in a couple blowouts this year. That's a really talented true freshman this year. They should be good. I'm. What about Mississippi State? Does does Leach have his QB? I mean, I mean, I think Will Rogers, the true freshman there, has shown some shown some promising indication that he's he can be the guy. I mean, he's KJ Costello isn't hurt right now, is he? I mean, didn't no. Will Rogers just straight up take the take the job from him? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. And speaking of Mississippi State, somebody who could I don't did you mention Garrett Schrader? Somebody who could be on the market this offseason? Yeah, I mean, he is in the in the portal right now. Yeah. He, now he's a yeah, that's got to be the right offense. I mean, he's a he is a pure running quarterback, um, but he's he is a big, fast, athletic, talented dude. All right, one last one. CBB time from username Hogs Before Dogs, longtime listener, first time caller. As Thanksgiving approaches, my heart was longing for some feast week basketball action to serve up as a tasty side to the pivotal late November main course. And it has me wondering what would be the power rankings for the pod programs. Barton A&M, CPU, DK State, for Nelly Tech in basketball. My guess is CPU number one, clear blue blood. Number two, for Nelly Tech, it's an academic school that can make some noise every few years. The ceiling of UVA, but the floor of Notre Dame and Purdue. Number three, DK State, not as much of a threat, but as a gosh darn thorn in the side of the conference elite, kind of the way the kind of the way that Florida State used to be for Duke. And number four, Barton A and M. The student section is always chanting, "Let's play football" while getting hammered by twenty to conference foes. <laughs> Also, who are you hiring? Parrish or Norlander? Love that the pod is a hogs pod now. Woo, pig suey. <laughs> well done. Barton's First definitely all, dead last, yes. Okay. <laughs> Let me just say this. You guys might think that this is going to, you know, get me a little bit upset, but quite the contrary. I, I think that is the best compliment <laughs> any Barton commenter <laughs> has ever given me. You... Patsies can patty cake around on the basketball court while we are devoting all of our resources to the football program. Basketball, we don't care. You guys probably have really good like Olympic sports as well. You know, field hockey crushes it. Tennis, you know, women's soccer. 
Y'all can have it. We got a football-only facility that's the best in the world. Come to Bam U. We got all the oil money. Barton, Barton's <laughs> literally hiring an assistant athletic director just to take care of basketball for him so he doesn't even have to give it a thought. <laughs> It's like, no, your job, we need a basketball coach. Yeah, whatever. You find him. I don't care. Just tell me how much he costs. Are you going to let the football players who want to play basketball make that move in January to come and just like bring some athleticism to the group? Because I always loved when uh, you'd, you'd catch the football play, like Greg Little, former North Carolina, like running back and wide receiver who spent a minute in uh, the NFL. He would always just show up in January and he was just good for like, like five insanely athletic plays per game. And there was always somebody in, in the mix like that. And it was just, you weren't actually like bolstering the scoring or maybe you were like helping out on the defense, but always injected a little bit of energy into the lineup. Julius Peppers. Julius right. Peppers, another yeah. one, man. Six, six two seventies at mm-hmm. the end of the bench to just come in at the end of the game to get some fouls off. Well, Julius uh, Peppers was like starting. It was Brendan yeah, Haywood Peppers. and yeah, Julius yeah. Peppers as like twin towers down low, just monsters. So Don't when I was in high school, school, Charlie Ward, Charlie Ward, yeah, playing point guard on the football field and then point right. guard in the basketball court. And Brad Johnson played before him a little bit of hoops. So, so when I was in high school, our head football coach was also the head basketball coach. And, uh, we won, we won state championships in basketball my sophomore, senior year and football junior, senior year. And, uh, our basketball team was almost entirely football players that were playing basketball, but we had this one six ten. 190 pound, you know, skinny, like division one basketball recruit on our team, but he's a basketball guy. So he's kind of soft. So our coach, (laughs) the coach who was also the football coach would spend all year trying to toughen him up. So he would literally like throw, like we'd have drills where he would literally say, okay, this is a drill is a rebounding drill. I'm going to throw the ball up there. And he put like four of us football players out there. And this one six in basketball guy. And he'd be like, there's no fouls. Just get the ball. He basically like put us in the box and just try to like, just sort of like tenderize him a little bit. <laughs> um, it never worked, but he was good. He, he, had, he had a nice touch from the outside. He's a good player, but never got that toughness. It was fun. A stretch four. Like he had the nice touch from outside at 6'10", so he could pull, yeah. you open things up. <laughs> he was one of those guys that was a center, but was a little bit too proud of his jumper. You know, like, <laughs> you know, kind of stepped out that 15 to 18 feet a little too much. I can't get mad at people playing pickup anymore when they do that because it used to be about, come on, man, you're the tallest guy on the team. Get down low and bang. And now they're like, my back. I don't want to bang. I will say it while I'm second, and I agree with the rankings, as somebody who has spent his long time dealing with a basketball school who he wishes was better in football, I can't assure you that at Fernelli Tech, we put football first and we're happy and proud of our basketball program and we will give them what they need to win just as long as it doesn't interfere with our football program. We're really happy to show off the internships we've lined up for the new football recruits. <laughs> All right. Uh, you can follow him. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, what the CPU reminds me of, of Duke. I, I took an official visit to Duke coming out of high school. And they were terrible at the time. They were like, you know, one, one, two wins. Mm-hmm. The, the highlight of the two things they sold on the trip was basically you can hang out with the basketball players. Uh, <laughs> oh, and here's, this is Cameron Indoor, by the way. And we're the only football stadium in the country with a track around it. Like, that was like a selling point. I was like, uh, right. <laughs> oh. And then the football, st- yeah, the football stadium is right beside Cameron, you know? So you're right. like, you're always hanging out around the basketball right. players. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 
You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We'll be back with locks tomorrow. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.